Hey everybody, my name is Pej. We come on every single Tuesday, right around noontime. I always have special guests in the recovery world. We talk about anything and everything that's recovery related or lack thereof. Welcome to Pej's Recovery Corner. <laughs> well, guess what? <laughs> what up? Welcome to Pej's Recovery Corner. Welcome it's Tuesday. Nice. The entire day, right? Yes, it is. <laughs> Welcome to the corner. This is my friend Randall Patton. He's a good man. We've just yeah. became friends probably in the last uh, probably six, seven months, eight yeah. months. Yep, about right. Sounds right. Like, yeah, five, maybe only five or six. Maybe, maybe five or six. And and we can uh, thank the pandemic for doing that. Right, for lots of things. Bringing a friendship together. Right, yeah. Pandemic brought a lot of really neat things into my experience. That's for sure. So. For sure. So Randall's a deep spirit. I met this gentleman. Um, uh, you know, in, in certain circles we'll just say um spiritual circles if you will um you are in recovery yeah obviously um i i'd like to know more about randall you know starting like wh where you're from uh where you grew up where you were born and then how it all evolved and started. where are you from wow okay well currently i'm from carlsbad california or san diego um I've been in North County a long time. I was born in Harbor City, I guess Los Angeles area, if I'm right. I don't really remember as young. I lived in Orange County in Fountain Valley until I was about four. And that's when we moved to Vista, actually, California, um, 1979. When you were four? Yeah, when I was so, four. So you yeah. could be 46? Or, or 40, I just turned 46, just June 9th. Yeah. Oh, happy so. birthday. I don't think you better. Gemini, baby. It's it, man. That's the alter ego. Yeah, I got a lot of excuses for all the personalities. <laughs> So, okay. so, so, um, from a very young age, you were down in San Diego. Yeah. Yep. North, yep. North County. Did you uh, like growing up there? I loved it, man. It was beautiful. It was a great, it was a great place. It's still a great place. It's I dig beautiful. it. Yeah, it is beautiful. It's yeah. peaceful. It's a little bit, uh, slower than Orange County and a lot slower than LA. So it's yeah, one I of enjoy my favorite it. parts of Southern California is just San Diego lifestyle. It's a certain type of lifestyle. Yeah, it's great. I dig it. Okay. I really enjoy it. Growing up uh, in that area, uh, how how was life? I mean, as a, as a child, were you a happy child? <laughs> Interesting. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. Obviously, after going through a program, working steps, you get to reflect on all this. Um, I thought I was fairly happy for sure. You know, I mean, I, I enjoyed life. I, I had a great time. I played sports. Um, caught lizards and reptiles all the time with my best friend. Um, you know, my parents divorced when I was, I think I was seven. So I spent a lot of time by myself. Mm -hmm. Um, but I had a good, one of my best, actually my best friend from first grade to, to this day, I still talk to, you know, we spent a lot of time together. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, you know, my parents besides being divorced, you know, I mean, they're good parents. I didn't have a lot of crazy chaos in my life with the oh, exception of my divorced. seven. Okay. Seven. So that, that didn't really mess with you. Just, it was something that kind of just happened and yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, not that you know to be, you know, to be. Yeah, I don't really remember it happening at the time. I do remember the timing in life, but I don't really necessarily remember it happening. Um, but you know, I definitely remember growing up with my mom. I saw my dad quite a bit. We were we lived. He lived in San Marcos. We lived in Vista, basically. So, so not that far from each other. No, not within fifteen minutes. So he's still part of my life. He didn't bail or anything. He uh, ran his own. He actually owned a convenience store, like a liquor store, and spent a lot of time with that so he worked a lot but he was around he coached sports and you know took me on places so no you know for the most part my my, my childhood was pretty fairly normal with the except you know and the divorce actually is probably pretty normal too um my dad owned a liquor store so you know as always i was told you know don't drink don't do what i do you know and it worked for a little bit that's what i was going to ask you so is there by chance any alcoholism or addiction in your family in your in your um, yeah, I know my, my father, I think has 14 years, actually in July, he gets his 14th year. My sister, um, she also, I think she has about 10 or 11 at this point. So yeah, you know, typical it's, um, it runs in the household, you know, um, so they got sober before you. yeah, they got sober much, yeah, much earlier than me. So sure. when your dad had the liquor store, was this <laughs> when you were too super young? Yeah, he yeah he owned it. I think he bought it in the early '80s. So I was young. I was around it. Um, my first job was working for him there, so I was stocking beer and so it doesn't you know helping to you know keep that place going. I think when I was 15, I started. So started drinking. 
No, no, started working there. Started. I, yeah, I didn't really start. I drank once or twice in high school. I didn't, you know, I smoked pot like once and I drank two or three times. But the first time I drank, man, we uh, was at a buddy's house and <clears throat> we basically, I remember we pulled out a bottle of, I think it was like scotch. I don't even remember, but you know, I, um, I definitely puked, blacked out. First time I ever drank, you know, I remember walking home, going in the tub, you know, just laying in the bathtub. You know, I think, I don't know if I was a freshman or sophomore, I don't remember. In high school. Uh, yeah, in high school. And yeah. then I didn't drink, you know, after that for very a long time. Uh, I worked at the store for a while and didn't drink. Um, so you, so your parents telling you don't do what we do, like that or whatever. Yeah. Um, you listened. Yeah, actually, it's interesting. I did listen, you know. Um, I did listen for a while, you know, until I hit 18 and then, um, I don't know, college and just starting to get out and about and getting comfortable. I, I thought was comfortable in my skin at the time, which included alcohol and going to Mexico with my dad, which now he was, you know, basically we drank together down there. Um, you know, so yeah, it was about 18 when I really started to uh, participate, I think, with alcohol. And you were finished with school by that time, high school? I was finished with high school, graduated. Yeah, I was going to Palomar College, Community College. Did um, you do well when you were in high school, good student? Uh, no, you know, education in high school level bored me. Um, I was, I, it was really simple and I just, I didn't really care too much to be honest. I, right. And I got to college and I had like a 4.0 at college when I wanted to go. Um, and what were you studying in college? Uh, mostly it was just really my general ed. Um, at the time I wasn't even sure what I really wanted to do. So it was mostly general ed and just anything interesting that I could take, um, but I decided to apply myself and actually do everything because I figured, hey, I'm paying for this now. It's something that I probably should get something out of and decided to apply myself. Right. So I was working full time for my dad. I was going to school full time and probably partying full time. So I had, a, I had a lot of drive. I've always had a lot of drive. So by that time, uh, being over 18 and going to community college, were you living on your own or living at home still or where? <laughs> it's funny. We were just talking about this. No, at 18, actually, I was living at my mom's i met a persian girl that yes. i ended up literally moving in with that's her and Persians, her family that's Persians, <laughs> right so from like 18 about 18 19 20 i actually moved from my mom's house i ended up just rent slowly ended up staying with her at her house with their family so i lived with them so i wasn't on my own um but you know her her dad was a pot smoker very open-minded person so you know i think between drinking and smoking there and then working at a convenience store and you know uh kind of evolved you know right um i know that you and i have talked a lot about you know me growing up where i grew up i i grew up in orange county in la and yeah. you were down in san diego during that time you know i think because you're a few years younger than me probably about four years younger than me okay. but there were these clubs there was these did you ever go to raves um Kind of, and not the smaller ones, mostly bigger ones, Club Rubber events, yeah. Pimp and Hobalt so, in Vegas, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so Club Rubber obviously was like a full-on production. Like you mm -hmm. go there, there's a lot of ecstasy, there's a lot of love drugs, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Like some people hallucinate, some people do all kinds of different types of drugs. And things. Yeah. You were in the club scene. Um, not till a little bit later on, you know. How old were you then? Oh, by then I think, I don't think I really hit that scene literally until I was probably about 24. You know, um, in my early 20s, I was still just drinking um, and smoking a lot of pot. Um, and I didn't even do cocaine for the first time until I went to a Jimmy Buffett concert on 420 mm -hmm. uh, when I was 24. You know? right. And then I think that same year is the same year I tried MDMA or ecstasy, whatever you like to call it. Um, Which was 24 years about old? About 24 years of age, yeah. That's so all. before that, when you were drinking, were you drinking alcoholically? Were you... Absolutely, yeah, yeah, for you, sure. Were you the guy that was getting trash drunk, like... Like that's the type of drinking you were doing. Were you belligerent? Um, you know, man, I was absolutely getting hammered, but my system has always been able to take it. Right. So like, I, I mean, I hate to admit this shit, you know, but I would literally be the designated drunk driver. We'd go down to TJ to party right. and I'd drive everyone home because I'd always be fine. And that San Diego life, TJ is so conveniently closed. It's like, you <laughs> yeah. go all night long. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, we did go all night long. You know, I'd be up all night driving home at five, six in the morning, you know, I've had many of many totally of those fun, escapades yeah. coming back at like early in the morning. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We'd see people falling asleep driving off the road. And yeah, it, yeah, it, it, um, it was interesting. So that was a lot, a lot of TJ between eighteen and twenty for sure. Mm -hmm. A lot, like every Wednesday and Saturday, college night, and ladies' night. I think it was. So. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so then you said you know you, you didn't try cocaine or MDMA until almost mid twenties, right? Yeah, about that. Right. Yeah. Sounds about right. 
And uh, what made you get into, did you get into heavy cocaine use? Yeah, I did actually. Um, I had a really bad cocaine problem for a long time. Um, you know, it was, uh, I was always self-employed entrepreneur. So, you know, I was always my own boss. Um, and yeah, now I got into some pretty heavy cocaine use for, actually probably not later till my early thirties. I, cause I uh, was self-employed. I had a convenient, I, I've always been self-employed, but when I was in my twenties and I bought my dad's convenience store and that's 25 liquor store. Took over, bought it up, you know, um, but you know, and I could do cocaine and drink at the same time there, but I also was dealing with public. Um, so I had to be in a semi decent state, which I probably really wasn't and thought I was. Mm-hmm. Um, so the balance of cocaine and alcohol and Adderall, Norco, Xanax, Clonopin, you name it. I was also, um, at the time I was on bipolar meds. I was on, I don't even remember what I was on, but I was on multiple things for bipolar disorder. When um, were you diagnosed with bipolar first? I probably around that same 24, 25, 26, somewhere in there. So I was, I was medicated for bipolar while I was doing all these things. Right. And, and often, um, I mean, bipolar it shows itself a lot when people are in their early 20s, you know, obviously. Yeah. And then you throw some drugs and alcohol in the mix, too. And it just intensifies <laughs> it. Right. You know, I was always more manic. Up. I was always like, go, go, go. Right. You know, I, I, my, I never hit those manic depression ones where I'd, I'd be all over the board. But in general, with life, I was always a go-getter. I was hustling. I had a lot going on. I was very successful right. for the material world at the time. You know, I was, I'm, you know, I was making hundreds of thousands of dollars in my early 20s already. So mm-hmm. I was making a lot of money. I, um, I just attacked life, honestly, you know, right. so my manic came out more in the, um, where it actually, uh, materialized in the really good ways for a long time, to be right. honest, you know, yeah. it's very driven. And when you say you were self-employed besides the liquor store, was there other stuff that you were doing like other projects or, um, yeah, I had, I had nurseries where I grew, grew palm trees. Honestly, that was probably, I mean, I don't know if I made a lot of money. It was just more something putting money into, um, but I was in the, you know, marijuana industry i sold a lot of cannabis i grew a lot of cannabis right um you know so i was brokering a lot of cannabis as well we had gardens when cannabis when marijuana business was illegal in california kind of um we had prop we had collective paperwork under the prop 215 guidelines with collectives and with uh, patients and stuff so we were trying to do it right to be honest you know Um, and what year was that about well if we're gonna really get into that you know yeah it was definitely prior to that we started so when i started it um, it wasn't that way. So by the time we got to the early 2000s is when we started setting up collective paperwork. And that, and what you were growing was intended for medical marijuana use, correct? Um, yeah, I'll be honest. at the time, of course, that was what it was intended for, but it was also the excuse we used to grow, you know, right. and of course, you know, the typical, you know, this is what we do to play the system and, you know, mm-hmm. and do it. So yeah, I participated in cannabis industry Okay. for sure. Absolutely. At the same time. And then your thirties looked like what? Like, full-blown addiction alcoholism or uh, calm it down a little bit? so my higher power played it funny you know he's got you know everyone you hear him say got a sense of humor so in my early 30s i actually ended up in rehab i owned the convenience store when i was 30 ended up in rehab woke up in the psych ward one day um you know went for about three weeks through treatment came out um went to some meetings at alcoholics anonymous didn't make sense i think i was probably drinking again within Probably about two months, if that. I don't think I made it two months. I remember going to Catalina Island with my wife at the time, and mm-hmm. she and I just I was I couldn't have a good time. You know, I'm over there sober, and it fucking sucked. I I just it was I had that disease of the mind, that spiritual malady, bad. Mm-hmm. So I thought if I sold the um, convenience store, um, I'm going to go full time into the cannabis industry. You know, and get out of the alcohol. That you know, I'll be better off and not having alcohol around me. Mm-hmm. Um, in the meantime, from when I purchased it from my dad to sold it, the value skyrocketed. I came out of it with a pretty good chunk of money and didn't even enter the cannabis industry. Actually, that's when I really entered the full-time party rave scene, full-time. Because right. now I had a lot of money. I was in the cannabis industry, kind of. I mean, I was making money doing things, but um, I didn't have anyone. I didn't have a place to be in public. Right. So, so it was on. It was on. From 31 to 36, that five years, it was on. It you was, went to rehab how old? I think I was 30, probably. 30. Yeah. You put you yourself wanted to go there, like you wanted to go to rehab, or did somebody encourage you? I had a best friend of mine and my wife at the time encouraging me. Um, I didn't really want to go, but I did go. Um, 
you know, the last three days before going in, I don't even really remember. I think between just all the things I was taking to balance my swings of literally, I mean, at the time it was probably cocaine, mm-hmm. Xanax, alcohol, of course, cannabis, yeah. um, Norcos. You literally, I had something for everything. So by the time I got in, I was just, I had something for something every hour. Right. Right. It was a fucking mess. So I, I don't know if I even really remember the three days going in. I do. I guess I did sign myself into the one facility I ended up at, which was the psych ward, which I don't know if I even knew what I was doing. But the point is, is I ended up where I was supposed to. Um, but it didn't make sense, honestly. I mean, I got in there. I knew when you come to in a psych ward, it definitely is like an eye opener. Like, wow, am I really that crazy? You're like, can I be? And then I'm like, nah, there's no way. I can't be like these people. You know, these people are really crazy. No. Do you mean so, the people that were in the psych ward? Right. Well, you, how were they? What's that? How were they? Apparently, just like me, I made it there. <laughs> but when you say just like you, I mean, on one end, you're, you're asking yourself, I'm not like these people, perhaps. Right. But then you realize, <laughs> well, I am here. Yeah, exactly, right? But but, um, but what did you see in there? Because I've been to the psych ward. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. Like when you come, when you're in recovery, finally, Yeah. I can walk into a room with 100 people that are in recovery. And if I ask them to raise their hands, whoever's been to the psych ward, 80 of them will raise their hand. Really? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. At some point or another, we have some psychotic episode. Yeah, absolutely. Or a, point, a, a, a breaking point where, where we're like, I just don't know if I can live anymore. Yeah, yeah. Or we become a danger to ourselves or somebody else, perhaps. And yeah, well, Therefore, true. somebody will 5150 us. And, yeah. And, or we will 5150 ourselves. Right. Depending on you know, how to like, work the system, right? Right, right. Uh, you know, I have that little care, but you know, on you go. But um, I saw things that I could never erase from my mind. I mean, I, and then again, I was also in a uh, juvenile detention facility in the psych portion. Hmm. Um, I know, like, in, in a lot of psych boards, they'll usually traditionally hold you 72 hours unless you're a total danger, and then they might be holding you for 14 days. Right? Yeah, this was through Kaiser, you know, so they put me into a psych ward somewhere in San Diego, I forget. Uh-huh. I mean, I know more or less, but I can't, just, but part of North San Diego by the stadium kind of, and um, I think I was in there maybe four days or five days, and, you know, I don't know everyone else's, di- <clears throat> excuse me, diagnosis. I don't know if there was drugs or if it was just other schizophrenia, I'm not sure. Yeah, it was just a mixed bunch, you know, and then, but then the rehab facility was pretty close to that. I think it was at the same spot. Spot, if I remember right, yeah. maybe, maybe I was transferred. I don't really maybe remember. Maybe they sent you there to stabilize you and then bring you back to the rehab facility. Yeah, yeah, you know that sounds probably about right. I'll roll with you on that. Sure. <laughs> I don't remember. You know, I don't remember. So, um, yeah. So that was kind of my first go around. But like I said, I I went to some meetings, you know, after that, and it just it, I wasn't ready. You know, I wasn't ready. So you weren't ready. So you went. You came out. Did you? just go did you go right back gravitate right towards using and drinking again remember this is your early 30s yeah yeah no i definitely the drinking came back and i'm sure the cannabis came back um and actually i think it all pretty much came back i think i kept the cocaine and um the cocaine at bay um the ecstasy was minimal before that but like i said after i sold the store then um and then all of a sudden ended up with this big chunk of money and a lot of time on my hands and nobody to no public place to necessarily show up every day, which right. kept help keep me in check. Right. right. Cause you know, I got to get there. I got to be there. Um, then everything really just dumped. So I think 31 to 36 got pretty brutally heavy. Um, you know, and then question for you being diagnosed for bipolar, mm-hmm. were they giving you medication during that time? Yeah. I think this whole time, even in my early thirties, I was, uh, well, yeah, I, absolutely. It was because I was using my Seroquels and my Clonopins and stuff to come down from cocaine. So, like, I'd be up on, you know. All so, night. you weren't using it for the purpose of what it was diagnosed <laughs> What you were diagnosed for, what nah. it was prescribed to you for. Absolutely not. You, you were mean, clever in, yeah. in the way that you were. Yeah, yeah. You know, I needed my parachutes to come down and go to absolutely. bed, and Seroquel worked great, you know. Um, and Seroquel, you know, I, I don't know if I should say it, but I noticed with MDMA, I took Seroquel and it actually put me on a crazier trip for the last two hours before I fell asleep. So that became actually fun. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm not proud of these things, but these are just my story of what no, I went through. That's why I asked you before we even came on, like, are you an open book? Oh, absolutely. Because I don't, you know, I don't want to, if somebody's really personal about certain things that they don't want to talk about, I'll make it a point to make a mental note and make sure not to go over that. But um, it's okay. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I've, I've had a lot of escapades myself when I was out there. And yeah. I don't like to be too shy to talk about it because you never know who might relate or might 
Absolutely. No, I, I agree. I actually, sometimes now where I'm at with my new observational seat, I've been blessed to be given. I kind of feel like, man, I kind of wish I would have had another 10 years in me of just to transmit back more. You know what I mean? Right. I feel like, wow, how come I found that? I feel like I got off pretty easy to be honest, right. to be honest. I mean, I look at my story and understanding now, you know, transmitting what you got and, you know, being of service and taking this message in reality. I'm like, so honest, I mean, part of the state part of me, which I have a lot of still, honestly, is like, man, I wish I would add another 10 years, probably not for me, but for what now it means to be able to help people through the experience. Okay. That's great. So you said between 31 and 36 and then what happened after that? Uh, 36, I think what happened, my kind of my opener is I woke up one morning and there was foreclosure papers on my house that, um, I had no idea what was going on. You know, me and my wife were both a mess and she had missed one payment a little prior and then kind of get caught up and didn't want to speak to me about it because she was scared of, you know, my moods. So I kind of, that was kind of one of those first, you know, experiences that the universe threw at me. He goes here, look at this, man. Like, come on. So wreckage. Like, wreckage, you know, it's like, wow. Being accumulated. Yeah. And I'm like, well, okay, well, maybe I need to start paying attention. Maybe I shouldn't be doing these things. And of course, then the universe provided me this opportunity to, um, I decided I got to start focusing. I put it into work and all of a sudden all these just unfoldments happened that saved my house. I didn't lose it. Um, it all worked out. Um, and that was kind of when I decided at 36, I'm like, okay, I got to get rid of the cocaine. Probably should get rid of the ecstasy. Um, so you just put those on your own? Yeah. Uh -huh. yeah. And you said wife, you guys got separated, divorced? Uh, we have been, I actually, we separated, we both got sober together. Mm -hmm. um, we separated last February, I moved out February 26th or 28th. But so during that time, yeah. when the house was going to build and save the house, you guys stayed together mm -hmm. and you were that much of a mess that, that these things were happening, like that house being foreclosed. So you decided to quit. Any kids? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, this is kind of, yeah, I have two kids. I have a son and a daughter that are currently, my son's 20, my daughter just turned 19. And during this time, was were the kids in the mix? Were they in the house? Were they seeing any of this? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they've seen, seen a lot. You know, on the same time when we were out, you know, doing our partying and being gone for the weekend club scene, you know, they'd say the grandma and grandpa. So we always had, between my mom and dad being divorced, my dad remarried, and then my mom and then her parents. We had three sets of grandparents. So we'd, they'd watch the kids on the weekends a lot while we'd go well, to Well, you guys went out and party. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty uh, fucked up, right? But. I know. It sounds like, you know, I mean, if you're active in addiction and alcoholism, well, then as long as you have What else do you do? What do you do? You go party. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of course, of course you're going to leave the kid with the grandparents. It's huh. their joy. They wouldn't yeah. love to be able to see them. And the kids were a lot younger during that time, obviously. Yeah, and actually the grandparents loved it. And the kids loved being around the grandparents, you know? So, so, so this isn't... At least we don't leave them at home by themselves, you know? Right, yeah, that's not... I've seen that happen. That that's, cool. That is not cool. So, so before that... Uh, the club rubber days were in your twenties, right? This is, this is a whole different era. Probably more mid to twenties or thirties. Cause that's uh so, you know, of course the way everything worked out great for me is being in the liquor store Coors at the time, the Maloofs and the palms. And that's where all the big pimp and ho balls were. So yeah, the Coors would always cover me for my hotels for that party. So it all worked out great. I went to those. <laughs> it all worked out perfect. I've pictures. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. People just don't know unless they know. Oh yeah. That was a hell of an era. That was a hell of a day. Oh, it was a lot of fun to be straight up on. I mean, it was. It was a great time. There's a lot of people that will automatically just say, don't do acid. Don't do LSD. Don't do ecstasy because those are bad. Now, you know, like they'll, they'll go in a downward spiral. Mm -hmm. Truth of the matter is the majority of people that I've known that have done acid, LSD. Mm -hmm. Yeah, me included, which I didn't talk about, but I did it, yeah. They've done it as an experimental thing. It's, mm -hmm. something that, it's not like something they do regularly. It's not no. a highly addictive drug that you're like, I've got to have more acid. No, you no, go no. On, you go on some trips. And you do get some people. There's going to be some kids, and I've seen them throughout my life. I'm sure you have too, mm -hmm. that they just go on an acid bender for a long time. Yeah. And, and, and sometimes they never come back from that. They might just fry their brain. I mean, they call it frying. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So tr truth of the matter is like some of the... <laughs> I, and I'm writing about this in my book, uh, a lot of magnificent experiences came through me doing hallucinogens, yeah. came through me doing ecstasy. Oh, some of it I can't remember anymore, because yeah, yeah. It, you know, because obviously when you're in that different realm, yeah. but, but, but for the most part, like, uh, you know, yeah, I agree. I mean, we yeah. had fun. Yeah. And, and, during, and during the 90s, if you're going to raves or you're going to, to, to clubs and things like that, um, 
unlike I, I mean I don't see a bunch of heroin addicts like no. the, the only place they go is to like a shooting gallery if there is one yeah they yeah. go shoot dope right and right. Then you never know who's gonna survive or, or die no. yeah the whole rave that whole MDMA's whatever ecstasy scene really I mean if anything it was love acceptance there was a lot of love there was you know and it was yeah. a beautiful thing it was a beautiful people were people everyone dressed it was just all about enjoying life the experience you know and using something that you know uh, i guess stimulated that experience for the evening you know and honestly you know and i think the only time i didn't drink for a lot of years was when i was on mdma because you don't want to touch alcohol on it for right, some you, don't it you don't you just there's no you don't even want to t- taste it, it just right. it's gone so it's interesting but um, you know it's really interesting now that i've been sober <coughs> almost 14 years tomorrow will be I, know. I have yes. gone to, we, we created a thing a few years back in the rave scene um, for a sober movement so that sober people that still love the electronic music I love it. Yeah. can go and they have their own tent and they have their own meetings. They don't call them AA or 12-step meetings. They just have like a, a room where people can go and, and enjoy the music and then mm. go back and retreat and have little meetings and then, yeah. like, be amongst each other and speak with each other. You see there's some kid that's sauce that comes in there and he's like, what do you guys got going on here? Can I hang out? Attraction, there's, not there's promotion, of, man. You never know. Candy and stuff, and usually, like we would, we ask that people that come to it have at least a year of solid sobriety, so that it doesn't like put them. On. But anyway, yeah. so I went to this like a few years back. <coughs> it was a huge festival in Vegas, and I remember just EDM. Uh, or I'm sorry, EDC, EDC Electric Daisy. Yes, yeah. 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 And I remember like the next morning, walking outside, just seeing a lot of people looking like they're just worn down and everything, and I thought. Oh, this is what they look like the next day. And I, I was sober. So yeah. I got to be like, I got to see it Your differently through different goggles, through right. different vision yeah. of what I used to enjoy back then. Because back then, you do ecstasy all night long. Yeah. Well, the next morning, I used to like do some meth to just kick it back in again. To keep and then, going, yeah. And, and, and I remember just be, being up for so many days and so many hours going to the after party yeah. and then the after party after the after party. Oh, and yeah. seeing like the way people always look really beautiful. That, it, it definitely would enhance my mind, but here's the problem that I had with, with ecstasy, and I don't know that everybody has this problem. Every time I did ecstasy, I threw up. Really interesting. Yeah, and then it would kick in. And then also the problem with ecstasy is that it was it would deplete the serotonin in, in my spine. Yeah. So so I remember there was uh, usually if I had quit, um, usually if I had quit doing ecstasy like on a Sunday, by Monday I'd be coming down really hard and kind of just in a fog. It, and, yeah. and Tuesday I'd be really depressed. Yeah, no, that's very, very true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that's the downfall. That's the side effect, I believe, of ecstasy is that yeah. it can put you in a su- in suicidal ideation mode, which then again like yeah. makes me realize like um, I'm happy I didn't kill myself over it. But I did yeah. a lot of ecstasy. I mean, I did it all throughout the night. I did a lot, yeah. A lot of it, like almost every single weekend. Yeah. And, and, and Again, we're not trying to glorify the drugs right. but, or any drugs for that matter. Yeah. But the point is, is that back then, uh, you didn't, there's a craze right now. There's a lot of kids doing opiates, yeah. you, know, you know, tons of it, just tons of it. And they're dying. Like yeah. fentanyl's a major craze. And so in, yeah. in comparison to what we were doing back then, I don't know that the kids these days that become full-blown opiate addicts got, got to experience what we experienced back then not to say any of it was better than the other yeah 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 it's interesting um especially i guess i don't you know i when i was a kid and doing opiates i definitely did some pharmaceutical norcos was kind of my thing just norcos but i didn't do a lot right some oxycontin a little bit chew them up just but nothing heavy um but yeah apparently like from what i hear now obviously these fentanyl coming over from mexico and stuff that's you know don't you know, never know i've, I've heard i've heard stories lately um you know but yeah it's it's you never know man right, right. and that's the whole thing so so you got into your 40s. You got sober at what age? 40, maybe 42, I guess it was. 42. You're 46 now, but you got three years of sobriety, right? Um, a little over? Yeah, August 26 to 17. So, okay. you know, I don't really, I'll be honest, I don't really keep too much track. I just, I'm a big firm believer of one moment at a time. Okay, great. Why did you get sober? Um, what was it like your crisis? Well, my crisis, my my dark night of the soul, so to speak, was um, you know, starting a company with a brother-in-law. Um, very successful company to this day; it's still very successful. Um, it was the first time I was able to be held accountable. Um, and this is a brother-in-law that's married to my sister, who's in the program. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that being said, uh, it was the perfect storm, honestly, of a lot of things. Just 
it was all my shit. It was honestly, it was the experience I needed in life to really finally reflect on myself. So it was perfect. Um, mm-hmm. It was just all my shadows that come out. So bottom line is I started the company in like 15 or 16 about. Um, and then by 17, we were going pretty solid as far as operational. Everything was going good. Um, and I just found myself in a position that I'd never been in as far as having to evolve and grow in business, uh, getting out of my comfort zones. All beautiful things now, but at the time, I just didn't have the life skills to do it. Um, and my only solution at the time was kind of going back to drinking quite a bit. I didn't go back to the drugs, but... Um, I was definitely, I, the last couple months I was there, I started drinking pretty heavily again because I just was frazzled. You know, I was just done. I was just, you know, I had sleep apnea. Um, I was traveling a lot around the country. Um, we raised a lot of money, a lot of things, stressors, just stressors that I didn't know how to handle. Um, and so it was actually the perfect experience, man. You know, finally I got to a point where um, I just, like, I knew I was done. Um, I actually was going to go to them. Um, my brother-in-law or whoever, my our VP of operations at the time and be like, Hey, I need it on this Friday. We were filming a, a national TV series that we were doing on Thursday. So on Friday, I was going to go to them and be, um, basically ask for time to say, I need to take some time off. And, uh, of course I got what I wanted. I just didn't go ask. They came to me and put me on medical leave. So, um, but at that time, you know, I just you went, thought you went to treatment. Um, no, no, they, they just put me on medical leave. Um, so when I got off, you know, the first thing I did was I didn't, you know, they mentioned to me, my sister and brother ended up coming out and saying, maybe we mentioned, maybe we think you're drinking alcoholically, which they knew, um, you know, so I got put on medical leave. Um, but when I went home, I ended up going back to the house with my wife and kids. Um, cause I was up in the desert in Coachella Valley on there in San Diego. So I went back to San Diego and, you know, I think about it took, you know, I knew I was in a bad spot. I knew I had things I needed to do. I knew I had sleep apnea bad. I needed to take care of, um, I knew I needed to go to a doctor. I had been to a doctor for a while. Um, you know, I was just, I was 255 swollen. Right. So I ended up buying a bike first, you know, cause I knew bikes were always, I used to mount bike a lot. I used to race downhill when I was younger. Um, so I bought a bike. Um, I got my doctor went and got my sleep apnea taken care of. So that was March 24th. I got put on medical leave. Mm -hmm. So over the next two months, I started taking care of my things, started going to one of my counselors that I'd been seeing for marriage counseling before. So I've seen her individually. She was actually kept suggesting I should do a 12 step program. Um, I tried to quit drinking and I, I pretty, I had it kind of in check, you know, a little bit. I was only drinking maybe once or twice a week, but it was still, you know, I still had the the disease of the mind, you know, the obsession was not removed. I mean, I saw the obsession It's still, you know, alcohol tasted like shit, but I couldn't not drink it. I, I couldn't go to sleep, but I had a drink to sleep. It was just, I, I was just discombobulated. Um, so then in June, I had a meeting with my brother-in-law, which he ended up, uh, letting me go to the company. Um, and that was really the last little, um, experience that I, my soul finally goes, wow, man, maybe you do have a problem. Um, and so I think I started going to the program maybe in June, probably, or July. So you, you didn't actually go get detoxed from the alcohol? No, no. Did you have seizures or anything like that? No, no, nothing. You, you no. are an animal. Yeah, my body's super resilient, man. That's oh, always, yeah. I mean, I'm talking, dude, I even at those, I'm not bragging, but I mean, I'd be at those, right, and I'd be on like literally 20 hits of X. I mean, I'm ta- I don't know how the fuck I never died. I, I don't know how I never died. Um, blows my mind. Um, I guess my energetic system can take some shit, you know? I guess so. <laughs> Doesn't mean so, I'm proud so, of it. So you started going to meetings, but besides that, I mean, during that time, did you just make an absolute decision that you want to stay sober or were you still leery? Like, were you still looking on the fence? Um, yeah, no, I was still on the fence and, you know, June, July, you know, I was kind of, I was going to some meetings. I knew I needed to try something. It was the last thing I had. I was at that gift of desperation. And then in August, you know, I mean, I was going one or two a week, I think, if I remember right, because I remember telling my counselor, um, yeah, you know, I'm going to a couple a week. Um, and then I guess it must have been August 25th was the last time I went out. And I went to, I was invited to the Del Mar racetrack for races with VIP seats and Slightly Stupid was playing. So I ended up there and the whole time, you know, I couldn't look at the horses. I was just watching everyone drink because didn't want to drink, but I was around it, but that's all I could focus on. And then of course, going to slightly stupid, everyone smoking pot, 
you know, you want to smoke pot, it smells great. Um, you know, and I made it through all that without touching anything. But then we went that night was that I think it was Connor McGregor and Mayweather fight. So we went to a party for that and I just started pounding the vodkas there. Um, and drove home, not remembering driving home. Um, woke up in the morning and with gnarliest hangover and the fact that I don't really remember driving home and already with a little bit of meetings in me realized that's it, man. I got to do this. And um, I, just, surrender. I finally got the gift of desperation or surrender to a way that I, I just was cracked. I just, it was all I had left, you know? Very well. So then you just stayed sober. Yeah. Yeah. After, so I started, I was August, August 26th was that day. Um, I decided I started going to meetings every day. Um, I, my higher power somewhere in there. And I, I was still pretty discombobulated, but some, I mean, I don't know how I got so fucking blessed to be honest with this shit. Um, Somewhere in there, my sister called me to see how I was doing, and I was super stressed. I had no money. You know, I got let go, and she's like, well, let me talk to Adrian about buying some equity from you. So they ended up buying some of my equity from the company. I had, like, some enough for I got a check for a year. So I had a check coming in. Um, but I think looking back, I know my higher power was like, dude, you're going to the meet. You're sober. You're working on yourself. I'm going to pay you to focus on yourself. So I didn't get it at the time. Um but the bottom line is, is all my bills are covered. I didn't lose all my shit. I didn't lose my stuff. I literally had a check showing up every month that paid all my get by number. All my stuff was taken care of. And I focused on meetings every day, riding my bike, reading, meditating. Um, okay. So th that's what I wanted to get to. I already know that you got involved in the meetings. I know you got involved in the 12 steps. That's outside of that though. This is what I get from you. This is what, like one of the things that attracted me to you is, um, as a, as a brother in recovery and just a human, like, you know, a spiritual being that we, we kind of, we, we vibe. Yeah, we absolutely. Vibe together yeah. very well. <coughs> Soul pardon. And what I really like about you is, is that when you speak now, when I've heard you talk, um, there's certain people that are on a different wavelength, a different frequency, you know, like, like <laughs> it's a, Fourth dimensional consciousness. It is fourth dimensional consciousness. <laughs> and, and so, and it's not like we all just get like that. I, I know a lot of people that are in recovery and I'm not saying that I'm that way. Mm -hmm. All I know is that I tapped into something greater than me, which I believe is God. That's, that's just, I, I deeply believe it. You know, mm -hmm. um, a lot of people are on the fence with the God idea. I was on the fence with the God idea. I, went from being, I still and, don't call it God. Yeah, I, I do. I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't have no, a problem I mean, with I, any of it. I you do. Know, I, and just, I used to not call it that for a long yeah, time. Yeah. Because I, I got really hung up on the wording, the mm -hmm. word, yeah. but it's more it, it's more than me, and it's it's godly. So yeah, absolutely, it's, yeah. it's, it's it's a creator. But my whole thing is this: when I would hear you speak and talk, I thought this guy's not only obviously you can tell he's read a lot of books, right? <laughs> he's well read, well versed, and uses a lot of words that that are in direct correlation and relation to spirituality. He's a very deep spirit. Like, and um, he's not speaking from a place of being conditioned. You know, like uh, he, he's allowed his consciousness to think outside of the box. And when he speaks, he talks from his heart rather than from his head, right? Like there's not a whole bunch of ego that I ever hear coming out of your mouth. Like you, you're just, you're definitely, you've tapped into that oneness and, uh, and it's a very beautiful thing to witness. So I, I love when I see people that are uh, on the rec in recovery process or even that, that are not in recovery from substances or alcoholism or mental health process, people that have, uh, that, that are deep spirits that really are on that frequency and they, they, they flow when they talk. They're not, uh, in victim mode. They're not, uh, uh, thinking that they, uh, that the world owes them, you know, um, everything is such, it's, it's just the way it is, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and they're okay with that. And I, I get that from you. And so how did that come about? Was that, were you that guy before you got sober or when you got sober, you said you were reading a lot. Um, yeah. Interesting. And I don't think it all just comes from books. No, I, I yeah. If we're going to go truthfully and what I feel is I, I do feel that, you know, I could cry talking about it, to be quite frank. It's, um, I guess just to speak from my heart and, you know, be the, you know, to let it flow out is, is this, I, I do believe, I don't know, you know, and all the things that we read about is 
it took many lifetimes to get here, <laughs> you know, and I don't know why this lifetime it appeared, um, but I am grateful for it. Um, I mean, it's nothing but gratitude. Um, like I said, I look at my recovery in my life, you know, even in my early twenties, I, I used to tell everybody I live in a movie. I said, this shit isn't real. I said, this is not real. This is like a dream. It's right. a movie. And I've seen this reality very interestingly for a long time. Um, it's how things work and just, um, they always work out, so to speak. Um, and then I forgot I lost it for a little bit. And, you know, it's a trip because, uh, you know, after I, I walked into the program, you know, something literally just told me to start meditating. And I literally, I, like, no bullshit. I'm not, I was meditating sometimes six, eight hours a day. And uh-huh. I, I don't take credit for that. And I'm not sure why, but I did. I'd sit on my tree or I'd go ride my bike. And riding my bike to me is meditation. That's that's where I'm in tune. I'm just stunned. And I think I got to, I always, we don't hear about it a lot in program work at least I haven't but you know our mind body spirit and for me to get back into my body I rode my I was riding my mountain bike as I was going to meetings as I was reading as I was meditating I was riding my mountain bike five to seven hundred miles a month at least Mm -hmm. I mean a couple hundred miles a week and so literally all I was doing was working on myself um but even that I don't take credit for like I don't like something just kicked in on me that all of a sudden it was time to wake up and it was time to find myself. What do you again. think that something is? I mean, I know you don't want to call it God, but where, where, did, why do consciousness, consciousness, and where do you think that came about? Well, consciousness? Yes. Are you really answering me? These okay, asking? asking? Okay. Yeah, where I, I don't. I like to hear your experience. Like, what um, happened? Did you just one day it just came to you? Yeah. So you heard gradual. No, no, no. It was a flash of light. It was literally December 21st, winter solstice of 17. So I was only, what, four months sober. Mm-hmm. Um, and we call it spiritual awakening, but uh, I call it kundalini awakening, whatever. And literally, I just, everything made sense. It just happened. Just... Why do you call it kundalini awakening? Did you, what did you learn about kundalini? Um, it's a great question. I don't even know. Um, I, I think at the time I, I decided to start really diving into searching for under like I, the, uh, it's so cliche, but it was the typical who am I, why am I here, then whatever the other one is. Honestly, you start to question yourself in life, and what is your purpose? Well, I started to look, you know, and I started to seek, <clears throat> and um, some of the first things I found, I was like, no way, I'd never tell anybody this shit because it was very personal um, to literally go down these wormholes and end up at myself. Um, but that being said, um, literally just that within by the winter, by December 25th from that day, you know, I just, my head was like a nuclear reactor went off in my head. It was on fire. I mean, my whole body was just lit up. Um, do you think that day is the day you were emancipated? Uh, 21st, 22nd. Yeah. Yeah. It, from your head and everything that was going on. I think it was when all my chakras lined up and connected and my crown chakra opened up. If we're going to talk about that kind of stuff. You can talk about that yeah, stuff. Absolutely. So to me, that's what I correlate it to the stories. I mean, if we look at the Christians and the Bible, it's the seven crowns, you know, to me, it's chakras seem to make sense. So, um, yeah, you know, and that happened to me. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, everything made sense. It was perfectly clear. I understood it all. Um, but then it kind of went away for a little bit and then I had to reintegrate back into it for a while. So it was a flash of light. Um, at that point I was going into meetings and I got what those meetings were and hearing everything that <laughs> was guiding you. The planets oh. were, had aligned and everything was aligned. The sea was parted. Oh yeah, completely, completely. So did you, um, and so I don't know why that happened. Well, I do know this. Um, Obviously, you 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 go to the medic to Yogananda's place down in San Diego, right? Um, <laughs> I did. I'll I'll go. Um, I went and checked it out a few times. Um, but you know they start calling him the master, and they lost his whole teaching. So right. I don't. You know, I I once they you know like I said, I went to self realization fellowship a little bit. Um, I go to the meditation garden, but I went to a few of their actual events and they started calling a paramahansa the master and if you read his writings you know the masters within us so you know we are our own master and once sure. we put it on anything outside of ourselves now you um you know you put it on something outside of yourself and it's not outside of us right no it's it, i understand that i get what you're saying i kind of had the same feelings when i went to the ones up in the, the palisades and 
even the one over, I think it's more in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, I think he had good intent. I, I do believe that our, there was a lot of spiritual teachers that. Oh, he he had it. Paramahansa was a instrument. I mean, he was a wide open instrument. He had he, his message is there. They just right. lost it again. A lot of people lose it, which seems to happen when the truth comes out through a certain instrument. Um, somehow, eventually, with a little bit of what appears as time. The experience, the message gets a little bit lost or twisted. It appears sometimes. I don't know. I'm just taking notes still, though, so I don't know. Do you uh, believe there's a difference between philosophers and mystics? Um, no, I believe that there's one creator that manifested himself into many different pieces and. For some reason, many human minds need to resonate with something to get there, but they're all Do the same. Do you think thing. all human minds are capable or are mystics? Can be mystics? Capable, possible. It's possible. What do you think blocks some people from tapping into their deep mystic mind? Human condition. Things that have been placed generationally on the human soul that I know we call it disease or sick well i call it forget remember you know we forgot who and what we were somewhere along the way and then we were conditioned into this construct of the mind that only exists because you believe in it and once you quit believing in it it goes away you know but we that's what we were taught that's what we were born into we you know like i said i was i say you know we were taught to be in competition or you know and a dualistic world, a third dimensional construct of mind where everything's separate and apart. It's having to be better than, you know, it's having to compete, you know, and in reality, that's, you know, or I guess I could say it in the way we, we think the outer world is separate from the inner world and that there's, that we're not a part of everything in our world, but in reality, it's an illusion. That's, I guess, the veil we fit. Illusion. Illusion. Everything is an illusion. <laughs> Indeed. It is, correct? <laughs> Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's real. It's here. It's an experience, right? But it is an illusion of mind. I mean, it's all mind. It's a construct. I don't know. I've, I've often thought that philosophers, the difference between philosophers is that they philosophize, meaning that mm -hmm. it's theoretical and theory is not factual. Yeah. And that means it comes from the thought process and usually the thought is from the mind. And in comparison to a mystic who comes from the heart. Okay. Not to say that you can't have philosophers that, are, that have tapped into their mystic side and, and actually uh, come from the heart. A lot of them, I, I believe many philosophers say what they say with good intent, but mm -hmm. when it's a strong opinion that was, I believe, based off of conditioning because of what they were taught from certain schools of thought, then a lot of times when they're hell-bent on thinking one way, then perhaps it's egoic. And, and then there are some philosophers who, like Socrates that says, you know, the only thing is the only thing I know is that I don't know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I hear your point. I guess like, the reason I say this is this. That, that's between mystics and philosophers, right? Mm -hmm. when, when, when I'm in recovery circles and recovery rooms, mm -hmm. this is what I hear a lot of times. And I think it's a, it's conditioned. Like people mm -hmm. are conditioned in the recovery process because yeah. they hear other people say it. They think that that's what they have to say. They say, I don't know why this thing works, but it just works. Yeah, I know why it works. Yeah, yeah. I know exactly why it works. Right. There's yeah. a 12 step process. If you mm -hmm. go into 12 step world and you work through the 12 steps and you completely surrender, yeah, yeah. then that's why it's working. Well, it works they, if you work it, right? There's <laughs> a chapter in one of those books that says mm. how it works. So why yeah. would you like say that like, I don't know how it works? Or, you know, when somebody says, like, I've had the worst year of my life, or for whatever reason that may be. Yeah. You mean to tell me that your entire year was the worst, or there was certain moments that you milked? Well, you it's perception, I mean? right? It's I mean, perception. and they also, you know, and it's unfortunate, you know, because how? Okay, I always say this, you know, the worst thing that ever happened to me was the best thing that ever happened. Sure, but it takes a while to get to realizing that the human experience is really about. I honestly, I don't even necessarily care for the word spiritual anymore. Yeah. It was a conscious evolution, sure. expansion. So how do we expand consciousness, right? I mean, some call it suffering, you know, but the experiences that materialize that make us more one with source or with creator or with God or with the universe, you know? Right. So every tragedy, the only way every, we surrender every so more tragedy has a blessing. They are, a blessing, but you know, and you, you posted this recently or there's something, you know, about the storm. Well, God is the, the universe is the storm. 
It's just you pushing itself closer to center with an experience to make you surrender, to be whatever it is you need to go through. And we all have, I do believe we all have different experiences why we're here to, we need to go through for our individual experience. Mm -hmm. So when you bring up the philosophers and the mystics, you know, I, I think the philosophers that's a realm of mind, they try to think and they try to explain it. I think the mystic just accepts it and becomes it. It becomes it. You know, and that you just be, is within. yes, and you just become it, and and it's really love and, and acceptance and forget and realizing that it's just a construct of mind, but you don't have to understand it. Mm -hmm. And the more you try to understand it, the more you don't understand it. <laughs> yeah, you you had mentioned um, that it all came from a creator. Obviously, you know, we, you don't call it God. However, sometimes God, don't get me wrong; I use the word God regularly. Sure, sure. And, and, and the reason I say this is, is, is I want to ask this question, and, and we might be dragging this out, but I. One of the reasons I wanted you on here mm -hmm. is because I love having meaningful conversations with people that share similar values with me. You know yeah. what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it wasn't like when me and you were drinking and getting sauced that, I mean, if we did a lot of methamphetamine, we could have these types of conversations, but they may not really, they might go in circles or they may be nonsensical. Yeah. But when we're sober in a sober state of mind, mm -hmm. we're able to actually tap into other qualities of our thought process of our where our heart flows and, mm. and have these types of thoughts absolutely so when you speak of the creator is that creator absolute to you i yes good question i is i duality or is it absolute uh, no, well duality is part of the experience you have to have contrast and you have to have duality for this experience of life but i believe it's absolute absolutely actually i would say i know it is it's infinite it's yeah it's probable i think it's always evolving and entropy is always lowering and the only way consciousness evolves through experience and i don't know man it just gets to a point where you just don't know you know and you don't need yeah. to know and right. you just accept whatever your it role. is doesn't probably want us to know exactly no no exactly but, but it also gives us the choice to make different decisions for ourselves based upon how we live our lives because animals live instinctually yeah but humans have the choice to make the right or wrong choice dependent. They do for a while. And then I feel you get to a point where you realize you, they're so clear to live. If you're going to live righteous or you, you're going to live sure. on this, the choices kind of show themselves. But the ego never goes away. Um, why a, would you say that? I have a speech, spiritual teacher that tells me on earth, mm -hmm. on this earth, there are only a few human beings that actually shed their egos completely. Okay. I asked, who are they? He said, nobody knows. Hmm. Ego never really goes away. Although if we become aware of it and we tap into our soul, we distinguish between the two and we can live through our souls, mm -hmm. which is actually for me, this is, these are just my beliefs. You know, mm -hmm. it is the only way to go. Unfortunately, greed, money, all the seven sins, could definitely kick in depending on, on what happens or where I am or who I'm around or yeah. uh, it can come in many different shapes, forms and sizes. It can be a relationship, for example, where I think I need to be in a certain relationship and, and I think it's perfect and the way it's dressed up and how it looks and all that. This is it. I'm totally set on this. And then all of a sudden something will happen between us. Mm -hmm. And when we, when it doesn't work out, I realized that perhaps it was my ego that was my driving force to making me be convinced that this was the one and that's the way it needs to be. And this is just an analogy. Yeah, no, no, I'm listening. It could come with many different things. It could come yeah. with... Uh, well, it sounds like these are all the attachments, you know, and the things... To the that, third dimension. Right, right. right. You know, with the, this illusion of separateness, right? So, like, yeah, relationship. Well, you know, your your relationship with yourself, and that's all this program is about, is yourself. And it's loving yourself, accepting yourself, forgiving yourself. All these things are about finding myself. And then once you can do that with you, now you can transmit what you have because now you have it, you know, and then you're able to do that for everyone else in your experience, right? Sure. Because you see where they're from. You know, nobody wants to be an asshole. Nobody wants to feel good. Nobody wants to hate. You know, and that's why the Bible tells us, like, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and at the end of the day, anything that reflects back for me, like in a relationship is what it is. It's, it's. Part of the experience. Part of the experience. And then if it dissolves, that's beautiful because it's not a beginning. That's an ending because right. now I've just leveled up or expanded. So I think if we really live the serenity prayer, which to me, and this is where it just is, is a prayer of non-attachment, you know, if I own nothing, nothing owns me, you know? And so any of these things that come in, they come, they go, they ebb, they flow, they might leave. That's cool. But right. 
they're fleeting. The only constant in the universe is change. And for some reason, as humans, we don't like it. We like to get comfortable and, and complacent. But in reality, you're not you're going to stop growing and expanding as soon as you stay somewhere too long, right? Absolutely. So none of it really matters eventually. Well, you know, it's interesting. What what happened to me where I, I felt like I tapped into something much deeper and it happened probably about three years into my sobriety. I mean, I was doing, I, I felt like I'm on this path almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Like I want to be sober and I'm going to do this and I'll do the work and all that. And I, I know, and I read a lot of wordy books. I, you know, I was into tons of books to expand the mind and, and, and to expand your heart and expand your consciousness <laughs> and all that. But I just had, I was driving over a hill, listening to some music. I rolled down the windows. It just felt, it felt like that particular day, the air was perfect. It came through the car. I was playing Led Zeppelin over the hill and far away. Mm-hmm. And I just remember in that very moment, the way the music sounded and the air was flowing in the car, the way I felt within myself, I was like, I'm in the moment right cherishing and loving this moment yeah this is a perfect moment and that is where i i realized that i need to live in the moment every single day and just be with the moment it's never not now man marvel in the moment not i don't need to go forward i don't need to go backwards i don't need to suffer and be depressed about what's happened and i don't need to be anxiety ridden and future trip and wonder about what's about to happen it's already taken care of bro it's all done it's perfect the way Perfect. God, universe, <laughs> creative intelligence, whatever you want to call self, it, has, has you made it within itself. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful spot. It's um, yeah, it's amazing. All these things we train fear, stress, anxiety—they're just an illusion. You know, it's a trip. You know, and once you're blessed to have them removed, you know they'll try to creep in. You know, things come in now to like try to bring me back into the world and go, "Oh my God, what's wrong?" And you just sit there and laugh, and you ignore. Them. And you know, I mean, really, that's, and that's why when we cease yeah. fighting everyone and everything, yeah. It all eventually dissolves. Right. You know, so when I quit fighting, alcohol went away. Um, you're such a you're such a good man that I can almost. I mean, obviously, knowing you now, like it's hard to imagine you being you know hammered all the time. But wow, what a different guy you are! This is a different life. Yeah, oh, this is. Um, can't believe it's real. That's the most amazing part. But is it? Well, I mean, yeah, right. That's is where it's a fine line, right? Yeah, it's a dream. Yeah, it's an illusion. But the reality is, is we do create our reality. And if I am going to be an instrument to leave the world a better place, you know, that let's, you do have to take it seriously. I mean, this is where it's such an, everything's an oxymoron. It just is. It's like, take it serious enough to be your best, but don't take it serious enough to give yourself a hard time. It's like, everything just becomes this. It's an oxymoron. This whole world's an oxymoron, you know? And, um, like, don't take anything so serious. Just, you know, go with the flow, you know? And at the end of the day, it all works out. Um, but you know, also don't limit yourself. Don't cap yourself. You know, that's why when I say the word spiritual, I don't claim to be spiritual. I don't claim to be religious. Yeah. I don't claim anything. You know, I just live my life and enjoy the experience. And it's if there's one word I would say, I guess it's try to be love, you know, just, and that's not even try to be, I think eventually be love. you be love, you become be the, love. you become, you, you, are, love. you are love, so right? Love. Exactly. And you as an instrument, you, and you can't give the love that God uses you to give or project, right? You know, or whatever that thing is, or whatever, whatever that you thing. want to call I just don't think you can describe the undescribable, right? You know what I mean? But I do think we have a lot of, um, a lot more power than sometimes we learn in the 12 step. We were take we're power and that we're extremely powerful. We gain back our power. A lot of oh, people yeah. get hung up on the powerless thing. They think it's yeah. being powerless. No, you, you gain back power. Oh, yeah. Oh, completely. Yeah, there's, sure. it's amazing what surrender and these words that seem make make you seem so weak apparently become very powerful. Yeah. Sure. Well, it's been a joy to have you on the podcast. Absolutely, thanks for we'll having have you me, brother. Corner one day. <laughs> yeah, I like the corner. It sounds fun. It's always a it's always a it's blessing to awesome. be able to share things, man. We are going to sign off. Thank you all. We will be back. By the way, I'm going to be having a podcast on Sundays too, uh, undetermined time, but it will begin on the 20th, where I will be having my friend Astrid come on on the 20th, and next week I got my friends Lee and Mike there. They do their own podcast, too. Uh, excited to have them on next week. And uh, thank you all for tuning in. We love you very much. And have a good rest of your day.